everyone. Welcome to Inside and Beyond podcast, where we explore the power of mind and the nature of reality through science and spirituality. My name is Natalia Famichenko, and today we will be discussing how to transform your mindset to let go of procrastination and start achieving your goals. My guest today is Katerina Lengold. Katerina is a former tech entrepreneur turned brain researcher and mental health advocate. By the age of 23, Katerina sold her tech-based startup and became the youngest executive in the world aerospace industry. After a severe burnout, she turned her interest from launching satellites to studying human brain. Katerina's background includes graduate studies in social innovation and interpersonal neurobiology from Mindset Institute, in addition to computer science and an MBA from MIT and Harvard Business School. Katerina, welcome to the show. Hi. Hi, Natalia. My pleasure to be here. You have quite an inspirational journey. You have transitioned from <laughs> the aerospace industry to mental health. And to me, it's difficult to imagine two industries that are so different from each other. And you also did it after experiencing a burnout. So could you tell us more about your journey and how you overcame the state of burnout? Yeah, um, well... I Every time somebody's like reading my bio, it just makes me feel like, really? Like, this is, this is it. Um, yeah, my journey has been pretty, pretty exciting, interesting. I'm very grateful for it, but it was rough at times. Yeah. So I grew up, I live in the US, I live in California, but I spent uh, most of my life, um, abroad. So I was born in an area near China, right? It was, it's now Kyrgyzstan, it was part of USSR mm -hmm. at the time. We were very poor. The family was struggling a lot. There were times we were like borderline, you know, just not having money to buy food. Mm -hmm. um, so I, as far as I remember myself, since I was a child, I was really dedicated and like focused on this idea of making it. Yeah. Like I wanted success. I wanted to be financially successful first and foremost, because this is what I saw as the path to happiness and path to like good life. You have to be, you have to have money. Yeah. And so I started working very early. I was, I think I started working when I was around 10. Mm. I started teaching English to little kids. Oh, wow. And then at the age of, I skipped a bunch of grades at school. And so I was studying at university at the age of 14. Oh, wow. So I like, uh, it, it was pretty, pretty intense. Um, by the age of 16, I already had a business with people working for me and it was making more than my parents. What's and then when I was 19, it wasn't design. It oh. was a website design, um, like logo design, that sort of thing. And I started doing it myself. And then I got so many customers that I couldn't do it myself anymore. And so I started hiring people from like remote regions where the salaries were lower. And all I did was basically business development. I didn't know it was called <laughs> this way when I was 16, but I was just finding clients and signing contracts with them and just outsourcing it to others um, who I paid, you know, a fraction of what I was making. Yeah. And um, I was making good money. Like I remember when I was 16, um, like I started living by myself. I could afford an apartment. I was... I actually, for some portion of time, I had a private driver, oh, wow. which was insane <laughs> for 16 Completely years. Completely insane, yeah. given, yeah, like compared, like you know, you know, judging from where I came from. But at 19, I received scholarships. I was, you know, trying to get several degrees in parallel. Um, and at 19, I received scholarship. There was only 20 people from my country who received that scholarship, and I went to MIT. Mm -hmm. 
And at MIT, I like also cross-registered at Harvard. So like just basically try to get it all in, um, computer science and MBA and everybody around me, the definition of success was no longer money. It was impact. So how can you make, you know, change the yeah. world? And so like this, it, I got it redefined. And I thought like, what could be bigger than, you know, airspace? Like what could be cooler than airspace? So I started a company with a bunch of friends from airspace department. Um, and we just first was like a student project and then it became a company mm-hmm. where I raised money. And so I was studying, I was raising capital. I was trying to build the company. Um, and I sold it <laughs> when I was 23 years old That's and uh, I sold it to an aerospace company, which is based in California, in NASA, in Mountain View. And uh, like you're saying, it's incredible. And like, this is kind of the response I got from people. But the truth is that didn't feel incredible. It didn't feel good. It, it felt actually totally miserable um, because I didn't have life. I had struggle. Uh, I had hard work and it was like this never ending, like more, like I, I could, I could never be satisfied. Mm-hmm. Like, um, you know, I'm the youngest at, at, at university. I'm the, you know, the richest in my social group. I am now like, you know, 23 vice pre- 23 year old vice president of an aerospace company. It was just like this unending quest for more. And I realized that I was completely like wiped out, burnt out and unsatisfied. Like people were saying like, Hey, you, you know, achieved X, but I was looking around there are people in Silicon Valley who had so much more money than me. Yeah. You know, there's this like, okay, I'm 23. I'm people like look at Mark Zuckerberg, you know, he has so much more money and so much more influence than me. And I'm already behind, like no matter what I do, I am behind. And I'm like trying to push harder and harder and I'm wasting so much effort and energy that my life has no sense of joy. It's so interesting how, you know, we are always trying to catch the next best person. And if we're focusing on only that, we never feel satisfied. Well, that is part of our brain, you know, the way our brain works and brain circuitry. We have a very strong dopamine circuit in our brain that brought us to where we are right now, like recording this podcast instead of living in the caves. So, you know, this desire for exploration, this desire for more is what brought us from Africa to like, you know, United States, you know, like, why would you walk this huge distance? Well, desire for exploration. We, (laughs) we humans, we love exploring, but you should balance it. Yeah, exactly. There is this balance, this mm-hmm. line where you're just exploring and trying to become the better version of yourself and are still happy with who you are versus when you're desperately trying to achieve and you feel not enough constantly. Well, it's funny you brought it up because this is one of the key things that I just realized uh, that I realized as, as I was, you know, made this choice to leave operations of an aerospace company and just try to like figure out my life. Um, because I realized that there's like two modes of existence and it actually is proved by modern neuroscience. So, and those modes are kind of mutually exclusive. So you can either strive for more because you're hungry, because what you have is not enough, mm-hmm. or you can savor what you already have because what you have is enough. So like you can't feel like motivated to do more 
because it's not enough and feel like it's enough and you're satisfied and you're content. So you can't be content and motivated at mm. the same time. Like this is two different brain circuits. They mediated differently in our brain. So we have serotonin, we have dopamine, we have a bunch of neurotransmitters, but like there's circuits that make us feel, oh, okay, this is good. This is good enough. And just yeah. savoring what we already have. And there's another circuit which tells us, okay, what we have is not okay. We need more. We need better. We need faster. We need cooler. We like, so these two modes, they do not coexist. And whenever we hear that you have to balance them and nobody can balance them, the reason is because at the same time, you can't have both. Mm. And this was kind of the, like a big aha moment, which like was like, ouch. Like, yeah. <laughs> well, that doesn't sound like good news, you know? Um, but there was a way and I figured out a way and I'm very, very happy with how it's been playing out for me and for people I share it with. But like the reality is if you want to have like 50% this, 50% that at the same time, you're doomed because there's no such thing as those two systems mm-hmm. activated. It's like trying to press gas and brake in the car at the same time. Mm-hmm. Like, so you have to you know, alter them all the time then. In order to be yes. more efficient. Yes. Well, I exactly. would be wearing... Well, you, you know a little bit <laughs> I <would be> wearing... <laughs> about my system. It's layering. Yeah, exactly. So how do you do that for our listeners who may not be familiar with that? Yeah. So there is, um, I call it joy growth, like layered cake. Like imagine a layered cake. Um, like if you have a cake, which is just cream um, or just like the pastry you know, part, then it won't be yummy. Like the whole beauty of a cake is layers, mm-hmm. right? And this, and if you just mush it all together, you know, like blend yeah. it all together, it wouldn't taste good. So what we want in life is layers of joy when you're savoring what you already have uh, and layers of growth where you're trying to actualize your potential, realize your potential and you push for more. Mm. So you can't have both at the same time, but you can layer them and you can look at your daily schedule and see if you can create layers in it of joy and growth. For example, you wake up in the morning and you have a 30 minute layer of joy where you're not rushing into anything, where you're just taking your time, snuggling with your loved ones, with your dog, with, you know, with people you love and with yourself, you know, giving some time to the most important person in your life. And so you have this layer of joy where you're not trying to be better you're just trying to be. Mm-hmm. And then you have a layer of growth, you know, like your workday starts, you're tackling things that are hard, that are outside of your reach, maybe yesterday. So you're trying to push for it. And then you have, you know, lunch break mm-hmm. and then you take a chill pill. Yeah. <laughs> you just like, you know, you go for a walk. And again, like we are trying to mix it together. Mm-hmm. We are trying to like, even in the morning, you know, there's like achiever mode and like, you know, let's go to gym, let's do like meditation, let's do journaling, let's do reading. Uh, or like over lunch, we're, you know, we're going for a walk, but we're consuming podcasts. So like, we're trying to mix it and we don't get either. So like kind of make them more, uh, you know, separate those layers. And then you can figure out how you can structure your evening. And then you look at your weekly schedule. Mm-hmm. And see, okay, like maybe on the weekend, my cake will be more joy dense, like with thinner layers of growth. Uh, And so, and then you can look in the month, like I am a big believer in using sprints, agile sprints Mm -hmm. 
for personal planning, I adopted them. Usually it's just used by companies to build software. I use it for personal productivity. And so, you know, for me, like I have three weeks, which is mostly kind of growth uh, centric. Again, it has micro layers mm-hmm. of joy throughout the day, throughout the week, but it's just mostly about like pursuing things. And then I have a week where I kind of take it a little bit slower. Of course, I still have work things, but I just have it a, a, like lower concentration, if yep. you will, and like try to add more of a joy elements to it. So it's about layering versus mixing. And I think people are trying to like have you know, like multitasking yep. on that level when you're tr- trying to have joy and growth at the same time in this multitasking, just, it just, again, like pressing gas and break at the yeah. same time. Yeah, I agree with you. And it's a beautiful concept of layering the lake. And I guess it has something to do with our attention span, which is 100%. And if we're trying to dedicate this 100% to multiple things, then a priori, we won't have 100% of attention on one of those things, right? It will be spread out, so it will not be efficient. It's worse than that. It's worse than that because, you know, it's not like you don't split it 50 50. You split it zero zero. Yeah. Does it make sense? Because those two modes are mutually exclusive. So when you are cultivating the sense of enough of being content, your motivation drops. You get less dopamine. Mm -hmm. So you feel less motivated to do difficult things. Yeah. If you're motivating yourself and pushing yourself and like visualizing the, where you want to go and like planning and like moving towards it, mm-hmm. it makes you feel hungry. It makes you feel not content with what you have. And so like, if you try to do both, you get zero, zero. It's not just splitting attention. Mm-hmm. It's losing both. Yeah. And, and this is a paradigm shift for me. And I think this is the reason why so many people talk about balance. But so few can actually achieve it because the concept in theory sounds good, but the practice of it is not trying to have both at the same time, Mm -hmm. but layering those things and treat them individually. Okay. Now I'm in the growth mode and I'm going to go, 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 go. And this is okay. Yeah. And this is great. Um, and now I'm in a joy mode. I'm not rushing anywhere. I'm here. (laughs) I'm now and I'm savoring what already exists in our life. And many people think of their life as a cake that consists of a kind of growth period until they get retired, like go to retirement. And then the retirement is their like savoring piece. Mm -hmm. So like two layers. The truth is those people, and and it happened to me too, when I realized that, you know, I just don't have to work. It's like, how do you even not work? Like, how does it, how do you even like don't have responsibilities and reasons to like wake up because you don't have a skill savoring life in the same way, in the same way as like getting things done is a skill. You're not born with it. You have to develop it. And if you spend the majority of your life pursuing things versus savoring them, you don't have that skill. You don't know how yeah. to do it. You're like, okay, what am I do? Like sit with the book on the couch. Okay. Two minutes in, what do I do next? Yeah, like yeah. Um, it's a skill you need to develop. Yeah. And I guess yeah. in order to develop the skills, you have to be proactive and responsible in how you plan your day. And also you need to understand what it is that you really, truly enjoy. But just to play a little devil's advocate here, um, there are two challenges that I see that I would like to get your insights on. So first is essentially, how do you understand how to plan your time 
in the you know time compartments that work best for you because you don't know when you have this motivation for joy more or for growth more because sometimes you know i plan my day and i forecast that from 12 p.m to 2 p.m i will be in my growth mode but now 12 p.m comes and you know i don't feel like it so that's the first thing and then second mm-hmm. thing is the fear in a way that um i would see either playing out when you're in a joy mode and you're still, you know, on the back of your mind, you're thinking, oh my God, I'm afraid that I won't have time to do something else that's more important. And uh, also when you're in a gross mode, the fear that, you know, you might not be able to achieve your ambitious goals that you've set yourself to achieve within this time period. Yeah. Well, these are fantastic questions. So let me start with yeah. the last one. Um, and this idea that if you, if I take time to enjoy life, then I will have less time to, you know, follow my dream, achieve my true potential, make an impact. Um, and this is the reason why I think a lot of people don't give themselves this time. They, some people think they don't deserve it yet. Some people think that it's just too much of a luxury. And I felt the exact the same way, but, um, neuroscience showed me that this is a, fallacy. It's a, it's a logical fallacy because if you are pushing for more for a prolonged period of time, you, and we all know this effect, we get motivated first, we get excited first, and then we reach one goal. Then we need a bigger goal to be motivated yeah. because the goal like we had yesterday is no longer exciting. Yeah. So we need to go higher and bigger, and then we need to go higher and bigger and you have to constantly increase the stimulation and the risk and the challenge because your receptors in your brain become less sensitive yeah. to dopamine. Same way, if you're eating spicy food, you start kind of mild spicy, then you go mean spicy, then you can eat very spicy food and it kind of tastes the same yeah. because the receptors on your tongue, they become less sensitive to it. And receptors in your brain do the same thing. So you need to constantly increase the challenge, the risk, novelty, unpredictability, all those things and reward, potential reward, um, in order to stay motivated. And at some point, you can't do it anymore. At some point, there is no way, whether it's just the circumstances, like, you know, you can't go higher. Mm -hmm. And then you feel this complete sense of emptiness because things that you used to be motivated by they no longer motivate you and you can go higher. So you will get to a certain point where it's done when you're not interested in anything. And I've been there and it doesn't feel good. Can imagine. So when you're introducing layers of joy, you're giving yourself a reset. So it gives your receptors a reset. It gives them a chance to stay motivated by different things. And so this is a recipe for long-term success Mm. because in the, in the scenario where you just keep on pushing for more, you can run a sprint. You can't run a marathon on this. Mm -hmm. You have to be much more strategic. And so joy is not a luxury. Savoring life is not a luxury. It's an, an, an integral part of being able to make an impact, to reach your dreams to realize your potential without it, you will be done. 
like 10% of the way. Yep. You won't be able to move forward. That makes sense. So I, I really encourage those who listen to us, like, even if you don't want to do those things for the sake of your personal happiness and you think you don't deserve it, which is a whole story on its own, but what you want is achievement. Well, this will give you that. Mm-hmm. This will give you that. And I feel like since I adopted this, I not just felt more happy in different areas of my life, not just career, but I also made a lot of decisions that were so much better. I stopped doing, like I had more clarity. So my investment decisions became so much better. So I've made a lot of money, not doing more things, but having more clarity about doing the right things. I was just recently reading um, an amazing thing like, Warren Buffett recently talked about the fact that most of the returns of his portfolio came from about a dozen of deals that he did. So most of his decisions were kind of so-so and only 12 of them actually brought those huge returns. Mm -hmm. And when we are constantly chasing, we can't make those good decisions. And so we have inevitably those diminishing returns and obviously path to burnout. Like there's no way out of it. Like, you know, once your receptors don't want to be engaged anymore, you're like, you have this numbness. So like the only chance for long-term success, and this is what we want, like nobody wants like a quick success and then like fall down. So um, this is the only way. That makes sense. I highly recommend And then how do you structure your time in a way that works for you? And how do you predict when you're supposed to have this joy layers versus growth rally layers? Yeah. So um, there is two pieces of that. Mm-hmm. There is like general logic, which is driven by our um, neurochemistry, biochemistry, our hormones. So I can give you a general idea, which you can then use to test for yourself and see what it is for you. So like you can kind of have it as like a starting point, but I highly recommend looking at that as very much an experiment because what works for me, may don't necessarily work for you. So generally we have a spike of uh, adrenaline and cortisol. So the things that kind of give us a chance to push uh, and dopamine as well in the first part of the day, about three hours after waking up. And it usually lasts for about three hours. So nine to 12 for most people, depending on the time you wake up, um, like 10 to one, like this is usually really good time for like growth block. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, when we talk about serotonin, um, like it usually is a few hours before bedtime because like, you know, our cortisol drops, our mel- uh, melatonin starts to increase. And we just have this, this really good time and space for kind of serotonin activation, which is the joy thing. So like, you know, two to three hours before you go into sleep is a great time for joy later. So this is kind of the mm-hmm. two blocks that is just driven by our neurochemistry. Uh, and I encourage you to do at least these two. Um, and kind of the rest could be like more chaotic, just kind of what, what comes up. Mm-hmm. Um, but just watch yourself. Like I like a thin layer of joy in the morning. Uh, I like a thin layer of joy in the afternoon during lunch break. Um, so this is, this is where I kind of like, you know, I have this kind of block yeah. of time in, in the, in the morning, early afternoon of growth. And I kind of have a thin layer here and a thin layer here of joy kind of wrapped around it. Um, so this is during work days. 
But then the rest just experiment. Like you don't want to put yourself in a box that you hate, yeah, exactly. you know, with like all of this time blocking. So if it, it has to feel good. Um, but the interesting thing is that, you know, anything that you would introduce first will create resistance, whether it, it's good for you or not good for you. So give yourself at least three weeks to try it out because what you're going to try to do tomorrow, if it's going to be different from what you did today, it will create resistance in your brain. And it's not a signal that it's not good for you. It's just a signal that has changed and our brain always resists change. So like give it a good three weeks, uh, you know, agile friends, you know, experiment and, and see if it, if it feels good. If it doesn't adjust, you know, maybe for you, you want to shift this joy period to some other part of the day, but make sure you have several layers. Yeah. Um, and, and switching is what, what will give you a huge boost, both in savoring and motivating yourself. Yeah. That's super insightful. I think that, um, it all comes back to responsibility for your life and responsibility for understanding what works for you and what doesn't. And you really need to look deep down to understand what really gives you joy, a pleasure so that to make those decisions. And, um, we also touched point on, um, whether people feel that they deserve certain things and whether they feel they are enough. And also in my previous question, I mentioned that, you know, some people may feel fear that, you know, just facing this growth block in front of them, they are afraid that they may not necessarily achieve those goals that they set for themselves. And therefore they try to procrastinate or self-sabotage, which is essentially again, back to thinking that I didn't deserve it. Just thinking that, you know, I should cut myself from every opportunity I have because, you know, I'm just not enough. How do you deal with that? Is there any practical technique that help you address that? And also maybe how it is connected to the whole neuroscience picture, if you can uh, shed some light on that too. Okay. Wow. That's a loaded question. Yeah. Uh, so resistance, resistance to whatever we think would give us a chance to progress in life but we, we know it's the right thing to do, but for some reason we self-sabotage it. We kind of feel this tension. We don't want to go into it. Um, there are a few things that could be at play, right? The first thing that I would, you know, we kind of touched on that already is anything different will always create resistance, right? And that is why when I try to introduce any change, um, usually I don't need to introduce it instantly, right? So what I try to do is I try to introduce the change in like 10 to 15% from what I already have. Mm. So for example, when you want to change your bedtime routine and you know, you're currently going to bed at 2 a.m., you know it's terrible, you want to go to bed at 10 or 11. Yep. And people do, what do they do? They're like, okay, starting from tomorrow, I'm going to go to bed at 10.30 p.m. And now they're going to bed at 2 p.m. <laughs> this is massive change. You have routine and structure in your life where you have all these hours, I don't know, to watch Netflix, to like hang out and talk to friends, like, you know, be with your family, get some household stuff done. And for you to remove that starting from tomorrow will require a ton of adjustment because it's not just going to bed. It's all the things, all the space, all this time that you used to have and now you don't. So what I recommend instead is going to bed at 1.45 p.m. 
oh, 1.45 a.m., mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So like you shift your bedtime by 15 minutes. So between 2 a.m. and 1.45 a.m., there's so much difference. So your brain will have so much less resistance just because it's such a small change, right? So the same thing, we're talking like, okay, three-hour growth block. It doesn't have to be three hour. It can be 20 minutes. Can you do 20 minutes without feeling like it's, you know, too much? Mm-hmm. So whatever change, whatever self-help advice you hear, think of it as the end goal, which is like 100%, and try to break it down into micro changes that you can kind of sneak in without your brain really noticing yeah. that too much of a difference, you know, so that it doesn't create this resistance because our brain naturally wants to keep the status quo. Because if we're alive right now, that means status quo is serving us, you know, whether it's good for us long-term or not, you know, ultimately the way we see it is like, okay, it's, it's not bad. It's not terrible. Let's just don't rock, don't rock the boat. So this micro change is a really big deal. And when I do sprints and this is the system that, you know, I've developed is like, I recommend to people, like whenever you're having this project, which will slowly change your life, you know, every week you have about 100 hours, which of your wait time. So it's like 196 hours, I think, total, seven days. But, you know, if you remove all the sleep time and just like the little things to take care of Mm -hmm. ourselves, it's 100 hours Mm -hmm. of being awake. So whenever you're planning to change in your life, shouldn't take more than 10 hours, which is 10%. So like this 10% change is a really powerful thing because after one sprint, this 10% becomes the norm and now you can add another 10%. And so this kind of gradual like introduction of things into your life, whatever self-help advice you, you want to follow, if you do it in those small increments, you can you can really save a, yourself from a lot of self-sabotage. Yeah, that's super powerful. So that is the number one advice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so just kind of break it down like, there's no need for you to start going to bed at 10, 30 PM, like starting from tomorrow. Yeah. If you can like sneak it 15 minutes here and in three weeks, you move another 15 minutes and three weeks, you move another 15 minutes. Like in a few months, you will be at this 10, 30 mark, yeah. but it's going to be very easy because your routine will slowly change. And like nobody, nobody gets hurt, yeah. you know, yeah. like why does it have to be like all or nothing? So um, that's number one. Number two, you have to understand that change is always going to have, uh, it's, it's a burden for our nervous system because it's designed to protect us from change. And even the small change, it's going to have some sort of like, you know, it, it's, it's a burden, right? And you can, even if it's like a little bit here and then little bit here, you know, like it's like a woman's purse, yeah. you know, I don't know about you, but my purse usually Same. weighs like I don't know, <laughs> 10 pounds. Um, like for, and I don't know why it's just like a lot isn't there. I guess it would be that as well. Yes. And this is the year from last week and this is from a month ago. And like, and so it's, it's a lot and we already have a lot in our, you know, on our plate and our purse, just because of the amount of change that happens in the world, it's already loaded almost to the top. So you need to understand that if you want not just to survive, but to thrive and improve in a change in your environment, you need to actively invest in your mental state. It's not just when things are really terrible. It's you have to invest in it on a daily basis because you're taking from it all the time 
Because anything, any self-improvement is also self-change. And all self-change, it requires a ton of mental energy that you're taking from what? Like you, have you put anything in this bank account to, you know, to withdraw so much? So like thinking of mental like health, not just as a problem you need to fix once it arises, but as an investment that you want to be making on a daily basis, like healthy financial habits, you know, put aside every month, certain amount of money. So it can serve you whenever you need it. Same idea. Mm -hmm. Like how can you on a daily basis, do little things that support your physical and mental health because you will need it. And if you're doing a lot of things that are creating a lot of change, you need to be putting more twice as many change, probably four times as much of a self-care you need. Like when I know that there is an important stage of my, you know, like whatever professional journey, personal journey, if there is anything that would require a lot of mental effort the day before I double or triple on my self-care so that I have a kind of buffer um, that I can take from. And most people do it the opposite way. They try to fix it afterwards. So it's like the same idea, like one way you're saving, the other way you're trying to like pull like you know credit card debt yeah yeah you know and credit card debt is not a cool thing (laughs) you know and it accumulates yeah and i love this analogy because sometimes people think that they need to take everything till the end and when there is nothing else to take then they become so frustrated with themselves and then they become thinking that you know you're not enough i don't deserve it and those thoughts generate from there but they actually haven't taken the responsibility for you know refilling the energy prior to getting from that so i really love that yes and nobody talks about it Mm -hmm. and as teenagers we have a huge like kind (laughs) of college fund (laughs) you know we have a huge bank account with a lot of like reserves and we're so used to those reserves being there and they start kind of deplete as we reach our like you know mid-20s like, it depends like it depends on person it, it can be sooner or later but like at some point we start like hey you know every time i would reach out for it it used to be there but now it's not what's going on like something's wrong with me no no it's just you know it's it's like totally normal situation so now guess what you have to start investing so you can keep on keep on pulling pulling funds from it yeah so like we we talked about the first thing which is like reducing the amount of change Mm -hmm. second thing is like having resources for that change Mm -hmm. and accumulating those resources and investing in them and the third piece which is very interesting and you know i founded neurointegration institute and one of the things that we the method that we have that I'm super proud of is this concept of orbits. And I, I can give you yeah. a little bit of a backstory how it all developed because it was super interesting. Mm-hmm. So when I just left operations of my aerospace company, I was um, like dedicated to find solutions to uh, my burnout. And I thought the solution would be um, around productivity. So if I can be more efficient with my time, then everything is solved, right? Like I don't have to work for 16 hours. I will work for eight hours if I'm two times more productive and like, yeah. voila, <laughs> success. Great. Life is wonderful. Um, and so I, and I mean, it does help. Don't get me wrong. It, it's, it's not wasted effort. And so I, you know, looked at a bunch of ways how you can improve your productivity. Like this concept of sprints came to be. And I wrote a book about it and it became a bestseller. And I, like, there was a whole movement 
where people were joining those sprints and we actually kind of decided to lead the movement. And every month we would get together, uh, thousands of people will set goals and then we would kind of report on our progress on a weekly basis, how we're doing. And we started noticing really interesting things because we accumulated so much data, like I think thousands of people every week, they report on what worked, what didn't work, what they need to adjust. And so we started accumulating so much data and we started looking at that data and we realized there's some interesting patterns. So a person who seems to be doing all the right things, you know, in terms of like my approach, who seem to be, you know, not burned out, has energy, but they still do this weird self-sabotage. And we discovered three buckets of self-sabotage that were pretty common. The first bucket is basically like, it's not meant to be. It's I'm like, just not good enough for that. If external circumstances are such that there is no way for me to get it. And so I'm not going to even try. Mm-hmm. So people want certain things, but they like kind of, the moment we are supposed to start acting on it, they just have this like self-sabotage, which is around like some sort of thinking, right? You would think like, why would you, why would you say that? You haven't tried. So it must be some thinking pattern. Then we would notice a second thinking pattern where a person would set the goal and they would be like obsessing over preparing to act, but not acting. So this is a situation where somebody who wants to change a job and instead of going to interviews, they like obsess over perfecting their resume on LinkedIn and like finding the perfect, like, I don't know, portrait photo for their CV and like, you know, going through a bunch of like educational materials online to like ramp up their skills. Like while the the action itself would be applying for jobs and going to have Mm -hmm. interviews. And I mean, yes, it does help to have a good CV, but when we start looking at those patterns and we see that people do the exact same thing for other goals as well, for situations where this preparation makes no sense. Like they, they don't really give them much, even though they spend a lot of time doing it. And this kind of over preparation is the second thinking pattern. And then a third pattern that we found is uh, we call it like fighting. Like, you know, when basically you can't pick your battles. Mm. So everything like you want to do this, but you can't say no to gazillion other things. You, can't miss out of opportunity. Every opportunity mm-hmm. you want to capture and you want to fight all the battles in life. And obviously, you know, you don't have unlimited resources. You don't have unlimited time. The result is, you know, you don't get what you want. So we have those three groups of people, all of them very capable, all of them using the right productivity tools, which we know work, but they are just because of their thinking, they create those huge roadblocks in their progress. And this self-sabotage is very common. And we call this concept of orbits. So orbits is basically patterns of behavior. When we're going in circles, repeating the exact same thing in different situations. Mm-hmm. Um, and this, this is learned behavior. And we usually learn it in childhood or like teenage years when our brain is very plastic, where we learn, you know, don't even try. You're not good enough. And we internalize it and then we apply it to situations where we shouldn't apply it. Or we're being told like, look, you can't do a sloppy job. You have to be, you know, like the, this whole like valedictorian kind of yeah. mindset where you have to be either perfect or, you know, you're useless. And um, this is like the second orbit or, you know, don't waste opportunities. You know, you m- this whole missing out concept, mm-hmm. which we internalize. And so those patterns, those orbits that self, like, of self-sabotage is a phenomenally interesting thing. 
because they cause very smart, very capable people make irrational choices. And they look at the behavior when they like sit with a psychologist, with a coach, and they look at it and like, yeah, it makes no sense. I don't know why I do this, but they keep on doing it. And so there's like cognitive behavioral therapy is really powerful to address this. We've developed our own system uh, that is based on cognitive behavioral therapy that helps us kind of slowly maneuver from our orbits. But guess what? Any maneuver requires energy. Yes. <laughs> so you need to learn how to get this mental energy to be able to shift those orbits. Um, so it's, it's fascinating. Like for me, it's been such a, interesting journey. Uh, because first I will like discover it in yes. myself. I would like look at the neuroscience behind it. I'll talk to experts. I would try to figure out something that would work for me, apply, see results. Then because I have a pretty large audience, we would have those big experiments and tested with thousands of people. We see what works. And it's just been such a fun journey of exploration and also feeling like I'm making some positive impact. So Def yeah, you definitely are. This is life, my life. <laughs> super inspirational <laughs> and super powerful. Thank you so much for sharing. Would you be able to provide one example of uh, potential solutions that works with those self-sabotaging behaviors on how to get out of them? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, well, there's like three pieces of the puzzle, right? So the first piece of the puzzle is your mental balance. So we have an interesting thing with our brain chemistry that uh, makes it really hard for us to think logically, to notice our self-sabotage, even to notice mm -hmm. it. If we're too stressed, uh, and I call it red zone, right? So you're overactivated, like your anxiety, nervousness, uh, panic, like, like when your nervous system is very active, or if you're in a blue zone where you're kind of checked out, disinterested, numb. So when you're in those states, um, it's really hard for our prefrontal cortex, yeah. the part of the brain that gives us a chance to like actually kind of make sense of things, um, not just act on autopilot. It, it's disabled. So the first thing you do, you learn to bring yourself to green zone, the way I call it. So green zone is a state where you're both calm and engaged in life. So this is kind of spectrum mm -hmm. in which your brain, I call it integrated. Um, so, you know, you're the parts of your brain, they communicate well with each other. Your prefrontal cortex can engage and help you solve things. Yeah. So this is piece number one. Piece number two is being able to notice your orbits as early as possible. So sometimes in order not to fall onto a particular orbit, what is enough is just to become aware of you doing those things. And the earlier you catch yourself, sometimes you will catch yourself two weeks after, mm. you know, and it's not really, I mean, it's better than nothing, Yeah, but it's, it's not really giving you a chance to maneuver. But like the sooner you notice that you're getting off track, so what I encourage people to do is, you know, look at their actions in the past week and see if there are any moments when they were ignoring things and kind of like pretending like things are outside of their control when they were in their control and the things that they could impact and it would make the positive results in their life. Mm -hmm. Or if there are certain things where they did a lot of preparation, a lot of like getting ready to perfect something, <laughs> but not acting. Or there are certain things where they like jumped into action, 
without even considering if it's worth their effort. So the, like starting to notice those patterns. And don't get me wrong, like orbits are not bad. Like there's certain situations which you need to ignore. There's certain situations where you need to prepare. There's certain situations where you need to act fast and fight. They are okay. What is not okay is when you are choosing the strategy on autopilot. Yeah. And so by noticing them, you kind of disabling the autopilot and go to like back to manual kind of <laughs> steering yeah. control. And this is, you know, if you don't get there and you can't get there if you're in a red zone or in a blue zone, that's the other part. Mm-hmm. So like, it's kind of a sequence of things. If you're stressed out of your mind, you would have no awareness of this action being inappropriate because to be able to analyze the context and see that this is not what is serving you long-term, you need to use your prefrontal cortex. And your prefrontal cortex is not working at this time or not fully engaged Mm -hmm, at this time, mm -hmm. right? Um, So this is kind of a sequence of things. And then the third step is to be able to creatively come up with many solutions. So this is very interesting because one of the kind of properties of orbits is kind of black and white thinking because they are mediated in our limbic system, which has a little bit of a black and white thing. You know, this is where all the cognitive distortions you've heard about, yeah, like, of course. this is just terrible. Yeah. This is impossible. He's wrong. Yeah. Like, black and white. Yes. Generalizations are generally wrong. as <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Mark Twain mentioned. So yes. So this is where you can come up with multiple ways how you can solve a particular problem. So you need to change a job. You want a new job. What are the ways I can do it? And then come up with using the creative power of your prefrontal cortex to generate as many ideas, including crazy and completely unrealistic ones that can get you there. And then figuring out what do you want to prioritize? Do you want to reduce risk? Do I want to maximize return, like, you know, my impact? Do I want to save energy? So you try to prioritize what matters to you. And if you have more options, you have more freedom. And this is what I think is a really powerful concept because a lot of people see themselves as victims of circumstances. Mm -hmm. Because in each particular circumstance, they have like black and white choice or which is basically means no choice. And they feel like they're trapped. But once you are in the green zone, once you notice the context, and once you're able to generate ideas of how you can approach it, all of a sudden, you're not a victim of circumstances. You're the author of your life. You are the one who is writing the script, not just on stage reading it and have no other choice but to to read what has been written. So this is how you write the new story. This is how you create new neural connections. This is how you create flexibility in thinking. And this is how you end self-sabotage. It doesn't happen overnight. It's a gradual process, but it's available to everybody at any age. You have neuroplasticity as long as you have a pulse. You know, mm-hmm. is your heart beating? Good. You have neuroplasticity. <laughs> so you can you can do it. <laughs> um, and that is for me super inspiring. And very like empowering. Like I can be the author of my life despite circumstances. Yeah, it is super empowering. And thank you for sharing these tools. I guess, again, as we've discussed before, it comes back to your ability to take 
responsibility for your life and really change something in it as opposed to being a victim in your own life. And it all starts with awareness. And then once you're, as you said, calm enough and aware enough, then you have this mental space to generate new ideas. There's one thing I want to add, because when you say the word responsibility, mm-hmm. a lot of people hear like, oh, more responsibility, yeah. seriously. Um, I would want to rephrase it if you don't Mm -hmm. mind. I think that the core of it is not responsibility, but noticing. Mm. So noticing the most important person in your life is what is at the core of it. And when people talk about self-love, like it's so vague usually, but I think this is at the core of what self-love is. You know, when you love somebody, what do you do? You want to know how they feel, how they think, what they want, what they don't like. And so you can, if you apply that, just being interested in getting to know what time of the day works for you for joy, what part of the day works for you for growth, what is your, what are your orbits? You know, just being curious and interested in the most important person in your life, the one you will spend the rest of your days with who will be with you until your very last breath, just kind of getting to know that person, being interested in that person is the path. It's not your responsibility, but it, I think it's your opportunity. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a great luxury of life to love that person and to get to know this person. Yeah. So, yeah. That's a beautiful way to rephrase it and makes it much easier understand. Thank you so much. It was such an inspiring and powerful conversation. Anything that you would say in conclusion to our listeners? Well, I am very happy that I got to connect with your listeners. Um, I hope that some of the ideas resonated with them. I would be happy to see them uh, you know, continue our conversation. Um, if anything resonated with you, feel free to shoot me a message on my Instagram um, I'm really, I really want to know what people hear and what they want to apply in their life. And if you have any questions, I would also be happy to respond to it. So maybe we can add my Instagram. It's Katarina Langold. Into the show notes, um, yes. Yeah. So yeah, I would love to continue the conversation with your listeners. If they're open to it. But thank you for letting me talk to them. Thank you so much, Katarina.